Welcome to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge with your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Within each show, Carol and her guests explore topics that give coaches, healers, and other change catalysts new concepts, tools, and insights that open up opportunities to flourish personally, professionally, and financially. And now, your host, Carol McClelland Fields. Hello and welcome. I'm Carol McClelland Fields, your host. In this episode of Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge, my guest Karen Marcus and I will be exploring the restorative power of nature. Through our conversation, we'll delve into how nature can be a physical, emotional, and spiritual source of comfort and hope during times of uncertainty and transition. Karen Marcus is a personal life coach and master retreat leader in the greater Philadelphia area, and she's also the author of Birding Through Cancer, A Seasons of Change Journey. Karen's personal coaching style combines her love of the outdoors with respect for the human spirit. As we'll soon learn, Karen incorporates nature into her work with clients in a number of engaging ways. Welcome, Karen. I'm really looking forward to our conversation about the restorative power of nature. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. You and I have both turned to nature for hope and healing at very poignant times in our own lives. And I'd love to start the show by giving our listeners a sense of your personal journey. So how did you first discover the restorative power of nature? I think it came to be as I was a child. I grew up in Connecticut in a typical 1960 neighborhood. But behind all our houses was woods and rivers. And that was our playground. There were lots of kids in the neighborhood. And we just spent all our free time running through the woods. And also, even growing up, if there was ever turmoil in my family, if there was ever an argument going on, I would run to the woods and just climb up in a tree and just feel the comfort of being embraced by its branches. In addition to that, my grandfather had a cottage on the beach in Cape Cod. And so from age two, I was very comfortable with the ocean and the the rhythm of the ocean. I remember as a child falling to sleep on the beach listening to that. And as a young Mm -hmm. adult, that was a great source too for both my parents are buried on Cape Cod. And long walks on the beach was how I processed the grief. Um, So nature's always sort of been my comfort place. Yes, yes. And then how about as you started coaching? Well, From the get-go, I felt as a coach that nature was my co-partner. I didn't want to coach over the telephone. My preferred method is walk and talks. I led retreats. I felt my job was to get people out quiet in nature and let nature do its work. And then I also found the seasons of change, which used the whole understanding the process of the seasons of how we also can create sustainable change in our life. So they just meshed together. Yes, I remember talking to you around the seasons of change when you took that course that we now teach and how you and I had just a very similar relationship with nature and understanding of the power of nature for healing and providing hope and providing direction. And we've trained a lot of people 
and many people get it instinctually but i think you and i just had had this vibe together of <laughs> wow this is this is it for us you know this this connection with nature so we're going to talk in more detail about the way you work with clients and the impact of the seasons of change both in your own personal life and with your clients but let's just continue giving kind of an overview for right now personally how have you incorporated nature into your own life for me, a good day is always a day when I spend several hours outdoors, whatever the weather may be. Personally, I love walking and hiking and kayaking. Lately, my husband and I have started doing nature travel, and where we go to different countries and experience their wildlife. And that's always been my greatest joy, to see wildlife in its natural habitat. We were in Alaska once, and I witnessed a pod of whales doing this group feeding where they make a net with their air bubbles and then all go down together and come up in the middle with their mouths wide open and it was just like the biggest joy that I had experienced I just could not contain myself what an experience it was but then I realized you can't always go on nature travel for these experiences and birds are everywhere so lately birds have been really my avenue I can just walk out my door and see who's there I can go down the street to some of our national parks and take the pure enjoyment of enjoying the life around me and welcoming that life into my life. I was even up visiting my daughter in Brooklyn and I heard this sound and I looked and there was this huge parrot and this huge parrot colony and monk parrots who are normally in South America. They escaped from the airport and have bred and, and are now very massively present in Brooklyn. <laughs> Oh, wow. You never, you never know. <laughs> you just never know. That's the truth. I know you had an unexpected turn in your life a couple of years ago, and I know nature played a big role in that. Yes, I received a cancer diagnosis out of the blue. I went in for my annual physical feeling stupendous and told I needed to see an oncologist immediately. And, and turns like that in your life that just come out of the blue, it just shakes you to the core and it takes your breath away. And instinctually, I knew I had to go to nature to find comfort and calmness. And birding became a perfect vehicle. I would go out on a bird walk and all I'd be thinking about is, what's that sound I hear? What's that movement I see? And all the stresses and worries and unknowns in my life disappeared. And I was just fully present and mindful of the beauty of the world around me. And that became my avenue for physical and emotional and spiritual sanity. Often at night would be the times when you're most worried about things. And I'd wake up in the morning and I'd call to call my husband and say, Carl, I'm going out for a walk, just because I needed to get out there and calm my senses. Even before the cancer diagnosis, if ever I was feeling blocked creatively, or stressed over a decision, just going out for a walk and that movement and getting my breath along with the feet and walking would calm me down and center me. So it really became my church, my therapist, and just my best avenue for self-care. Yes. So in addition, you just mentioned calming the mind, but what other ways have you experienced the benefits? What have been the benefits for you of all of this time and presencing in nature? It's been an avenue for insights and broadening my perspective on issues and what's happening. 
I love when I go out on a walk and I have some unexpected encounter and I go back and I look up the totem of what that means. And that gives me another way of perceiving life. For example, hawks are often spoken of in many cultures as messengers between the two realms of the earth and the hereafter or the greater universe. And I remember one time being very stressed and going in for a very scary discussion with the doctor and stepping out on my front porch and looking up and seeing a whole circle of broad-winged hawks circling overhead, which I don't normally see in my park. And it was just a reminder to me to look up. Uh, there is a connection. It's not just what's happening now. There's a bigger picture in store here. So little ways like that, the metaphors that I find in nature always give me insights. I think a big lesson I learned, and one of my favorite quotes, is joy is a duty. Something about that, the first time I heard it, just drew my attention. What does that mean? And it's become deeper and deeper in my understanding of it. And going through the cancer experience, and any time when you're really overwhelmed and you're so stressed out by circumstances, you don't feel you have time for joy. You don't feel joy can touch you, but that's when you need it most. And by going out in nature, that's what I was doing. I was going after my joy. And that is so healing and calming and spiritually motivating to just still find joy in life wherever you go. Yeah, lifting your energy for sure. And there's a poem that I often read when I'm leading retreats or nature walks, and I'll, I'll just share it here. It's brief. It's by Ruth Betts, B-A-E-T-Z. And it talks about all that I receive from spending time in nature. Before I enter nature, I want to remember, I came here to get out of my head and into my senses, to immerse myself in peace and beauty, to feel kinship with life, to feel at home. I came here to be empty, silent, still, receptive. I came here to be changed, to get a new perspective, to find an answer, to heal a wound, to learn. I came here to be wild, to be engulfed by the wildness and mystery and wonder. I came here to worship, to thank, to praise, to love. Beautiful. And that about says it all for me. Yes, indeed. The next part of this show is always a deepening, a, a way to deepen the conversation about our topic, which today is the restorative power of nature. I remember when I received the call that you needed to take time to figure out what you were doing next with your cancer diagnosis. And I remember that turning point when you saw that you would benefit by accessing the seasons of change material that you and I both teach. I wanted to hear about that turning point for you and, and what the seasons of change brought to you. And just a reminder for our listeners, I wrote the seasons of change book in 1998 and Karen joined me in, I believe it was 2011 to help teach it. I taught it from 2005 until 2008 when my mom passed away and then I needed to step back for my own grief. And so we've been dancing this dance together. And I, I thought it was a very profound time for you, Karen, when you reached out and, and saw a new way to access and rely on that information. Yeah, I think it was the first time I really had a major transition in my life. 
after having begun to teach this program, Seasons of Change. I was actually just starting a new class when I got the diagnosis, and I remember calling you and saying, you've got to take the first couple of classes. I've got to figure this out, what's, what's happening and where I'm going. And I turned to the Seasons of Change manual because I knew here was a guide. Here's what I've been preaching all this time, and now I really needed it in my life. Part of the Seasons of Fall, one of the tasks, is to get your support group in place. And very quickly, you were part of that support group and some of my other mentor coaches, friends, family. Prior to the seasons of change, I was a Connecticut Yankee. I was a New Englander. You do it yourself, you know, independent and not one to ask comfortably help for others. And it also made me realize that sometimes we lean too heavily on one person to be our support. And I really needed a team around me because this was going to be a long-term event. And I had the image of a flock of Canadian geese flying and how one takes the point and bears the brunt of the wind and the headwinds. And then when that bird gets tired, it goes to the reverse and another comes forward. So that was one of the first big lessons that really helped me from pulling out my Seasons of Change manual and what I had to focus on. And then it came also in the wintering season is a time to turn inward. And this was another big turning point. I realized I really had to protect my resources. I was going to be stressed and drained, and I couldn't expend a lot of external unnecessary energy. So I really had to go through my life and sever things that were just draining and not nurturing to me at all. And taking the time, like walks in nature, going on bird walks, to really do everything that I could to heal from the inside out, really put self-care on the priority list in my life, which for most women, it's a thing they that was a lot. And then spring was more when, you know, I was halfway, at least a good three quarters of the way through my treatment, my chemotherapy, and I knew I was coming out the other end and there was light at the end of the tunnel and I was going to re-enter life again on a different level. And because of the seasons of change, I was very conscious that I wasn't going back to how I led life before this experience. I was going to be creating a new life. And there were many valuable lessons that I had learned from this experience that I wanted to incorporate in my life. Some of those things that I severed from my life because they were just draining and evasive and not nurturing, I didn't want to bring them back in. I wanted to keep true to the joy I had found, the lessons I had learned. I really wanted to take the important lessons and move forward into my daily life differently and into my professional life differently. I think that's a really important point. When we go through a major transition, I always see the seasons of change as an upward moving spiral. So we return to fall with some other transition, but it's at a different level. And when we come into spring and summer, we're at a different place in our journey than we were when we started and incorporating all of those new pieces of who we are into our quote unquote normal life is a journey in and of itself because we're so different than how we started the transition. I know that you tracked your journey through journaling and I know that that created something. So why don't you talk a little bit about that process as well? Yeah, it was one of the other lessons from Seasons of Change and Wintering was to track your journey. And I had been an 
on and off journal writer for the past several years. But this really became another avenue for me to put my feelings, emotions uh, on page and record some of the interactions I had with nature along the way and different individuals, different readings. There's a lot of quotes in the book. When I decided at the end, I should share this journey. And part of it was that I was teaching the seasons of change at that time. And I did decide to share my experience with the class as I was going through it. And they were learning this whole program. So then I thought, well, you know, there might be some other people who would benefit from from learning the experiences of this journey. And so that became the book. Yeah, why don't you share the title of the book and maybe give a little bit of a description of what the book is about. It's called Birding Through Cancer, A Seasons of Change Journey. Just a series of short vignettes of little incidents along the way that were significant to me and major insights I gained, comfort I learned from going out in nature. Each chapter has a picture of a bird that might be the focal point of a lesson I learned at that time. I start one with a little clay sparrow, which is just this very plain, ordinary bird. And I was in Cape May, and the alert went out, rare bird alert. Everybody's phone was buzzing. And all these people were flocking to this little intersection of two sandy paths on the beach to see this plain little bird. And how much joy everybody who had the cameras and the scopes and the binoculars were out to see this little, simple, plain little bird sitting there. And I think that was a a pointer you had sent to me early in the journey was appreciate the small wonders in life. And and that was something I carried with me every day. What small wonder is going to cross my path today? So it's a series of little vignettes like that. Each one starts with a quote and a photograph, and then a story of some lesson I learned on my journey. Yeah, I obviously read the book, and it was a a true joy to follow you through your journey, because I had been there, albeit 3,000 miles away, but I had been there with you. And I really found the stories to be engaging and heartfelt, and your insight, you know, turning those metaphors from the experience into the healing was very powerfully written. We'll definitely have a link to Karen's book in the resources that we'll tell you about at the end of the show. So let's talk more about the restorative power of nature. We've been talking anecdotally. I'm sure all of our listeners can feel this change when they're out in a woods or in a meadow or by a lake or a river or the ocean. But I know you've done some research into studies that have been done that have recorded the impact of being in nature. And I wanted to hear this research and understand how it's restorative. How does it change us? Yes, I was quite amazed because this is something I just instinctively turned towards since I was a child and through all my life. And then after writing this book and doing some research, I found that there's been a lot of research done in recent years to really show that there are actual physiological and emotional benefits from spending time in nature. One of the most familiar terms that you may have heard out there is called forest bathing. And this came out of Japan. A doctor there had done many, many studies about the benefits of being in nature. And he took, for example, 100 breast cancer patients into the woods for a weekend. 
and every day they spent an hour or two walking and the rest of the time they were just absorbing the environment and chilling out in their cabins. And it was found at the end of the weekend and the three days of doing this. The natural cancer killer cells and anti-cancer proteins in their body increased 40%. And one week later, they were 13% higher. He recommends that other physiological benefits were lowering blood pressure, strengthening the immune system, decreases blood glucose levels in diabetics, decreases blood concentration of the stress hormone cortisol. And for all of these, he found like in the build the immune system to get the best results, a three-day weekend in nature was best. But if he couldn't do that, to do a four-hour walk, and you might only cover three miles. It's not about exercise and covering distance. It's about being present and connecting with your environment. And when they did further research to see, well, what is it about being amongst the trees that has this benefit? And one of the things they found out is the smell that are naturally emitted by these trees. And so this began to really support aromatherapy, that if you can't get out nature, to bring these natural smells into your home just had a very calming effect. Then they've also found many emotional benefits, and this is often called forest therapy. And they found that a minimum dose of five hours a month can ward off the blues associated with digital addiction, depression, alcoholism, and post-traumatic stress disorder. They recommend several short walks, 40 to 50-minute walks, to be optimum for these emotional changes to occur. And I know in Philadelphia at the Children's Hospital, some doctors now are prescribing that children have to spend so many hours outdoors a month um, because the parents need that added support to get them unplugged and out there. Total opposite of my youth. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those are some of the research that's been done. And they have also done a lot of research about how urban green spaces are so beneficial and that if you're living in an urban environment and you have some green space within a quarter mile of where you live that you can take part in. It's as if you had an additional $20,000 added to your salary as life benefits that it gives you. So that's a huge area that I think our country is really beginning to understand and more and more cities are spending the time and energy to create urban green spaces. Now, I remember that there was a study about the hospital stays that I thought was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. They did this study in Pennsylvania, actually, that if you're in the hospital and you have a room with a window and you can see a tree outside your window, you will need less pain medication and will have generally one day shorter stay in the hospital. And I, I, it makes total sense to me because you don't feel isolated in this cell. You know, and just looking out the window, you connect and relate that there's the rest of the world out there. They've also found even that listening to bird singing has a very calming effect on the brain. We spend so much time circling around in our own heads and just tuning into a bird call and like, oh, isn't that pretty? Where is that? Takes you out of yourself and connects you with the environment around you. Yeah, it's almost like it disrupts the natural chatter (laughs) yeah the chatter that's going on inside it just cuts to it 
and gives you something else to connect with. I love that. So anything else you wanted to say about the research side of things? In South Korea now, all the national parks have forest therapy rangers, and they're on duty there to take people out into nature and give them this mindful healing experience. Uh, so many times, you know, people are out there now and they've got their headphones on, they're listening to a podcast or they've got music going and they're exercising and they're not really absorbing the world around them. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we need guides to help us just get into our senses, disconnect from all media and all social networking and just be present in our environment around us. This has begun in some trainings in the United States given in forest therapy training. It's something I'm personally I'm going to look into also. But it's slowly starting to become present in our culture also. Wonderful news. The next obvious question is, how do you incorporate nature into your work with clients? I know you have several techniques. I've listened to you talk about them over the years. And... You know, the natural environment is such a gift, such a inspiration. And I'd love to kind of walk through a few of the ways that you have done this. So the first one is the walk and talks. And I know you are known as the walk and talk coach and that this is your preferred method of coaching. Can you describe how a session works with your clients? Yes, we meet at a local nature path at a local university or an arboretum or any green area that has clear paths for walking so that we don't have to mind our foots or climb up hills or anything and just can have a relaxed environment. I find the walking and talking benefit in two ways. One, just being out in nature, it broadens your perspective. You are absorbing the sun and the calmness of the greenery around you. And the motion part, I think, is also very big. My master's was in dance movement therapy. And I think whenever you're stuck, and often people come for coaching because they're stuck or lost or can't find their way, to start putting their words, connecting it with motion, already has some energy flowing through it. Then an unstuckness, you're already progressing forward on your path. So those are two of the basic benefits I, I find from walking and talking. I was just with a client. It was funny because her husband had done some therapy and, was, and it ended up being someone I knew. And, and the therapist sent them home and said, you have to go and do walk and talks with your wife every day. And so this has become a part of their life. It's just such easier when you're walking side by side. You're not yeah. sitting across the table and looking at each other as a coach to client, a husband to wife, a mother to daughter or whatever. So this pattern of walking together and finding your way together promotes the whole idea of it's a journey. Yes. Obviously, as coaches and other change catalysts, we can work with clients virtually. So how mm -hmm. do you pull nature into those sessions? I've had clients who have been outdoors when they're talking to me. They'll be sitting on their porch or they might be going for a walk in their favorite spot and I'm walking alongside of them in their head. <laughs> um, nature metaphors always are very powerful. The whole seasons of change is a powerful image. But I often will ask them, well, so what does this remind you of? If they're sitting outside looking around and say, what are you connecting with it in your environment right now? And what is that tree that you really love? 
what is that saying to you? Why do you love that tree so much? And, you know, they might say it's colorful and has broad branches and provides such lovely shade. And then I say, okay, now use those adjectives to describe yourself. I'm a very colorful individual. My big arms give shade and comfort to many people. So sometimes just to start the metaphoric language, I had one client come to me at the beginning of a walk and said, this has been a horrible week. I've had three major issues just grabbing me from every direction, and I feel like I'm caught up in a riptide. And I just asked her, well, what do you know about being in the riptide? What were you taught to do as a child? And and she goes, well, we were taught not to swim against it, but to swim parallel to the shore until we were out of the riptide and then come in. I said, so how have you approached these three very difficult issues that have presented themselves in your life? How, how have you approached them this way? What would it mean? And all of a sudden, all the light bulbs went out. And she knew exactly how she had to respond in each circumstance. And I've heard it said how metaphors uh, are the bridge between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And so a lots of times it's through that language that our inner knowledge is expressed and we just have to pay due diligence to it. Well, we're going to come back to the metaphor because I think that's a topic in and of itself. But there are two other methods I know you use to engage people in nature. And mm-hmm. I wanted to just touch on those. So how do you incorporate mindfulness into your walks? Part of my practice now, I lead mindfulness walks at the National Wildlife Refuge. I lead mindfulness walk for the Cancer Support Center of Philadelphia. One of my goals, both in these walks and later on we'll get into retreats, is just to get people out in nature and be quiet and centered. And the first way I do that is with the breath. That's the first way we interact with our external environment, bringing it down in and breathing it out, and how the trees take the toxic things from our breath and turn it into clean oxygen. And it's a relationship that's always with us. And then to focus on each of the senses. Sound, we might start with, you know, as we're walking, what bird sounds are you hearing? What wind, do you hear winds through the leaves? How does the wind sound between different trees? Vision. Look around you. You know, what colors are you seeing? What attracts you? Notice the small details and how the little intricacies in some of these flowers is just amazing. And also how the wide vista is so calming and freeing to have this open space around you. Smells to notice as you're walking through the woods. Different smells occur. One of my favorite smells that takes me back to childhood is evergreens in the sun. And that, that that smell is just, I'm just taken there instantly. So it's really just by bringing the senses forward that you become mindfully present and you're no longer thinking about the worries that you came into the walk with. And you're getting the release for a period of time from all that outer demands and chatter and stresses. Yeah, it's almost like the bird sounds we were talking about. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing, that it's disrupting your cycling inside your head. I know that you've done a number of retreats over the years, some multi-day international travel kinds of retreats and others one-day retreats in your local area. 
Can you talk about how you came to do those retreats and also some of the ways that you have designed those? Well, early on in my coaching experience, I saw an article in the newspaper about a woman in the nearby state who did kayak retreats for women. And and I called her up and said, I want to do what you do. How do I do that? (laughs) (laughs) And she became my mentor coach. And there's a wonderful woman, Helene Van Madden, who teaches the retreatcoachtraining.com that really guides you through the process of how you lead retreats. But again, it was part of my instinctive nature that as my job was to get people out in their environment, quiet and still, and allow their inner wisdom to come forth. And that's the environment I try to establish in a retreat. I first did one-day retreats, which were half days, really. I would do them from like 10 to 2, so people could get their family, come to the retreat, and have time to reassimilate before they get back into their family duties. And I did it around the seasons of change. I did one each season of the year at a local arboretum or park. Basically, we would start with a theme, maybe like finding your support team in the fall or letting go of extra weight before the winter comes through and the process of shedding the leaves of fall. So we'd have an introduction time where we talk about the theme. And then I would send them out for at least an hour and a half by themselves mm-hmm. with some crayons, usually, and some journaling exercises and drawing exercises. And they would all look at me at the beginning <laughs> like, you're nuts. I'm going away for an hour and a half by myself. I paid to come to this to spend an hour and a half by myself outdoors. And then when they come back, it's always, we didn't have enough time. Yeah. I need more of that. And so then we would together share the insights of what they gained from the experience. And then we talked a lot about now that I have this aha moment, what do I do with it? I think an aha moment is like a balloon. And if you don't weigh it down, it just floats away, never to be seen again. And so with the second half of the retreat would really be like, how do I take this aha moment and anchor it in my life? And so we'll do some more journaling and and quiet time in nature to do that. Beautiful. I have also done retreats and it is such a powerful opportunity to stop and deepen our relationship with ourselves and our surroundings and what's possible. And I've always enjoyed hearing about your retreat experiences. You and I have talked about the power of using metaphors. Our work with the seasons of change, both personally and in my writing time and in our teaching time, the metaphors in nature are powerful. And I would say I'm a little bit biased, perhaps, but the way nature changes with the change of seasons is also very instructive to how we can change with the seasons ourselves. And that's actually how I came up with this. When my dad died, he died in December. The trees were bare. And a couple of months later, I lived in California. So it was like in early February in California when the fruit trees start blossoming. And I remember very distinctly sitting at a stoplight and noticing that a tree that had been bare was blossoming. And I remember saying to myself, I hope I blossom again too someday. And that was really my first conscious connection between my experience and the experience of the natural world. 
and what was happening with the change. And that change in my life, my father's death, was so, it's a final thing. You can't have any do-overs. And I really did not have many skills to navigate that, the emotions, to see what to do. And I consciously turned to nature to find incremental ways to continue to change so that I could build new skills and also find peace after his passing. And that became the start of the Seasons of Change. I didn't write the book for a number of years later, but I did continue to talk about it. And I created a workshop around it and gave a lot of talks around the seasons. And what still stands out in my mind is the power of metaphor and awakening people to this power. And I know, Karen, you have a story that you wanted to share, and maybe that will give us an example of a metaphor and how powerful it can be for someone. Yeah, as I mentioned, whenever I'm out in nature, if something unusual comes across my path, I will often go back and look up the totem and look what this is a metaphor from and what message am I supposed to be gaining from this encounter. And I think one of my most delightful encounters with birds was with a barred owl. And I was on a retreat that was called the Undivided Life. And I went out for a walk and I was really trying to process. So I set the intention at the beginning of my walk. What do I need to do to make my life, my spiritual, professional, and personal life all in alignment with each other, each supporting one another and not fighting with all the different issues and not being contradictory to one another? And so this was the intention I set at the beginning of this walk, and it was a, a nature path around a Quaker retreat center not far from my home. And as I walked through and an old field with this giant old hundred-year-old beach that was scarred and broken and people had scratched their initials in. I was just thinking about how it was such a testament to time. And then I'd walk through a warm, soothing pine grove that was just silent. And I came around the corner and there on the branch at eye level, six feet away from me, was a barred owl. And it just looked at me. And I just stopped in my tracks and looked it in the eye. And after a moment, it flew away silently down the path in front of me. So I kept walking, and I came around the next bend, and it was sitting there once again. And I had never seen a barred owl before, and so I was just mesmerized. And I just sort of smiled and nodded at it, and it sort of, you know, looked me over. and then silently flew down the path again. Third time, I came around the corner, and it was sitting there again. And I just said, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, it flew off into the woods, and I never saw it again. And it was such an example. I thought, oh, my gosh, I am being guided. I was getting the message, you are on the right path, and you are being guided. Trust trust your journey. And when I got home, I looked up the, now I can do it on my phone, the owl symbol of, is the symbol of sacred feminine, of prophecy and wisdom. And I read that if this is your totem, this totem can teach you to use your voice with greater effect, to trust your instincts about people, 
and to hear not only what is being said, but also what is hidden. And that's all what active listening and life coaching is all about. It's what I need in my personal life. It's what I need to develop in my spiritual life. And So this owl was just a confirmation to me, you're on the right path. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that what was just a stunning experience. <laughs> it was special. It was special, and I haven't forgotten it. And this happens all the time. If you just go out there and and see something like those broad wing hawks, when I stepped out of my house that one day when I'm going to get my next medical test, it's around us. And I think just to open our eyes to listen to nature. I think that's what you're doing in the seasons of change. That's what I'm doing in the retreats. Um, Just to listen to nature and its guidance for creating sustainable change in your life. Let's talk a little bit about the seasons of change and how has that model been helpful for you in working with your clients? It gave me a guide, especially as a young coach. Uh, Clients would come to me that had issues I'd never faced in life some really major transitions they were going through. And at first I felt like, how can I be of service to these people when they are experiencing something I've never experienced in my life? And hopefully I never will. You don't want to necessarily have all the experiences that your clients have. But this gave me a map. and said, no matter what the transition they are going through, they are going to go through these stages. The intensity and the duration of each stage would vary from individual to individual. But these are the steps that they are going to experience. And it gave me a guide. This is the support they need during this stage of their transition, this season. This is the tasks they have to focus on. And this is the behaviors they need to avoid. And as a coach, I could be mindful of those behaviors that needed to be avoided, help them focus on the tasks at hand, and really give me a language that any client, you know, doesn't matter if if they're urban city folks or live in the desert, there's nature around them, the seasons they're familiar with. So it was a common language that we could use, that they didn't have to go out and study what each word meant. They had an instinctual understanding no matter what religious or economic or racial background they are from, this is something that's common to all of us. So it was a great tool for me as a guide. And it became also a way that clients would say, boy, you really get where I'm at. Uh, they really felt heard. I always felt that my job as a Seasons of Change coach was to hold the sacred space of winter for as long as they needed to heal. And for a client to be told, yes, you just need to rest and reflect now. You don't have to do anything right now, was what their body was telling them. But they had all these shoulds and sometimes friends trying to be helpful, giving them opposite messages. Yeah, the messages of our culture are very strong and they're not always right. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Not always helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, It's always wonderful to hear the power of that model and how other people experience it. It's been a, a core foundation for all the work I've ever done as well. Let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to help listeners understand the work you do now 
who you work with and the kinds of ways you work, and then also how to find you. What is your primary work as a change catalyst right now? Well, first of all, is teaching other life coaches and therapists and counselors on the seasons of change model and purpose clarity. So I do a lot of virtual teaching of those two programs, which both of which Carol developed. My one-on-one clients at this point do mostly walk and talks. I also do phone calls. And I'm not leading retreats so much these days as I am doing mindfulness walks, both for nonprofit organizations, the National Wildlife Refuge here in Philadelphia, John Hines. Really to get the message, I give talk at libraries and different communities about the importance of just being out in nature and sharing some of this research on the restorative power of being in nature and present in your natural environment, mindfully present. Yes, it's a powerful message right now. And what's the best way for listeners to learn more about you and your work? Well, they can go to my website, um, steppingoutcoaching.com. They are welcome to email me, Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at steppingoutcoaching.com. And call me if they want to talk and learn more about what I do or are interested in experiencing some of these things themselves. Why don't you say your book title again and let us know where we can look for that. Birding Through Cancer, A Seasons of Change Journey. It's available on Amazon.com. It's in both Kindle and Nook. It's also available at a much more reasonable price on my website. Uh, steppingoutcoaching.com, where I will send you a personally signed copy at the author's price. Awesome. And I will be sharing Karen's resources on my site. I always have the resources of my guests. So you can go to flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. And I will have links to all of Karen's website, book, and a few other articles that she's offering to you. And I want to thank you, Karen, for all you've shared with us today about the restorative power of nature. I know I feel restored from our conversation. As we were talking, I was having flashes of some of my walks that I take here in the valley. Living here has given me a different way of living because I live now closer to nature than I have in a long time. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll just close with a reminder of my favorite quote, joy is a duty. Excellent. Yes. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst at the growing edge. You've been listening to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge on InspiredNewsRadio.com with Carol McClelland Fields. Tune in regularly to hear more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst.